Bob Lear is a lost township, tucked away in the trees, just a stone's throw from the road between Ullapool and Inverness at Inverlaw. Centuries of history lie buried and forgotten. In this series, with the help of Ullapool Museum, archaeologists and historical experts, we're bringing the people and stories of Balblair and Inverlaw back to life. Eight snapshots, reimagined moments in Highland history, which have, until recently, been hidden in plain sight. Episode 4, Anna Fraser. is to be the land. Though I am no taller than the sapling Berkey, scarce broader than the Scotch thistle, I am to stretch from the Firth of Bewley to the far shore of Loch Broom. I am Anna Fraser, sister to Simon, sixth laird of the House of Lovett, and I am to become the incantation or divination, the wife of Fraser of Monroe, in the wild lands to the west. So, Anna Fraser was born at the end of the 16th century. She was of noble, high Scottish birth. She was the sister of the clan chief, Simon Fraser, who was the sixth Lord of Lovett. They would be living in Bewley, just outside Inverness. They were quite well off in society, they would have been ladies-in-waiting to the royalty. This is their status as Scottish nobles. They were the highest of the high within the Scottish nobility. Shall my story be told? Although to me, a woman 14 years of age, at this juncture in my life, every day seems as the poet has it, dark and droopy. I walk, I turn, sleep may I nocht, I vex it am with heavy thought. Lamentably, in the state of the world today, I am far from particular. I am no Queen Mary whose fate and fortune is fashion and blather and news across the kingdom in years. What is to befall me and befall my sisters? We'll be hid in the mists, vanish like mizzle or snow. Our fates are sealed in our mother's wombs by our father's decree. No historian of the future will even ken my name. We suspect that Anna was born in 1576. We know she got married in 1590, and we know she died in 1597. Look at this locket. Splendid, is it not? Garnet set in silver. It feels cool to detach, yet warm upon the breast. Heavy to hold, yet light to wear. It is one of the few things I have of my mother's. Look closer. There's even a pinky wee painting. A depiction on its underside. It shows a lady, a great lady, I think, in a long tunic, belted with a bright, tasseled signature. She was talking to a gentleman, perhaps on a boat, and they are studying a book, perhaps a map. I know not who she is, nor the meaning of the scene. But it and she bring me great comfort. And the garnet is, of course, protection from plague and necromancy. I wear it because today is my wedding day. Hector Monroe, 
you won't have heard my name. But you'll ken his. 17th Baron. Maester of Fowlis. Conspicuous and powerful, as I am distant and slight. So Anna Fraser is one of the very, very typical women whose story has never been told, but is absolutely filling out what she would have been expected to do. She's been used by her family as a marriage pawn for a very political alliance marriage. And the reason we're interested in it is she was given the lands of Inverlal for her upkeep. Inverlal, in the same earth as my old home. We're at the fertile plains, the sunny slopes of the east. All I can see here are wild, ragged stacks and bends, deep craters and cold grey lochs, the sting of the Atlantic. And this is to be my land. Well, it is fitting, for it reflects the storm and turmoil I feel in my breast. I am like yon little Rowan, here forever, blown and tossed by forces around me, with no power over them but to withstand, endure and do my womanly duty. She doesn't get a say in what happens to it. She doesn't get to go and meet the tenants. She doesn't get to raise rents or lower rents. She does not have any fiscal control over this land. She just benefits from it. It's like her pocket money. It also acts as an insurance policy. She knows that she always has this because it's, put, it's written down. There is security in it, but the people on the ground would not, probably wouldn't have known. This is a bureaucratic process. It probably wouldn't have made a huge amount of difference on the ground, but the marriage between the two had obviously a huge impact on Anna Fraser herself. I enter now my new land to a husband I only know by repute. To submit myself to a stranger twice my age would tenfold my authority. But hold fast, daughters, for they cannot take from us our God, our Bible, or our womanhood. I'm Dr. Rachel Meredith Davis. I teach medieval history. I think it's difficult to think about marriage in the same way that we think about marriage now. I have had an education. I have read the poesy of passion in more than one tongue. Deep sighs of a lady's splendour, which patheths all feminine disravages of affection. Loving kindness and friendship represent. Aye. I have read such dreams, but I have seldom observed them in this hard, sharp world in which we all must bide. Even less have I heard of Hector Monroe's love of arts or the delicacy itself, but I keep to the letter of the book. If anyone be found in transgression, restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. I am nearly woman. I shall grow in strength. There is certainly in the Middle Ages an ideal of love matches. You see them presented in things like chivalric romances. And there is this idea that love matches do exist, but marriage is not necessarily about predominantly love. It is more about the production of children and doing that in a way that aligns with the religious ideals that are so Im deeply embedded in the society. The point of having daughters was that you can gain political lands, 
political influence, political alliances with the marriages of your daughters. She would have been brought up from a child. Understanding her role was to marry whoever her father or, at this point, her brother deemed was necessary for her to marry. There he is. Hector. My husband. My Laird. He is old. Near as long in years as my father. They all turn to look at me. And we are glad, it's like taxmen or farmers examining the lie, the fertility, the ease or difficulty of new pasture. My body is to be the land. I am to be stretched from the Torridon Hills to the Black Isle, ploughed and seeded, tilled and harvested. A glance is all it takes before all eyes turn again to the source of the power. Hector. I am but a sprig of love it, to be grafted on to the root of the Monroe of Fowlis. I am here to grow them both. She's 14 when she marries, and that was the Scottish legal age of majority, according to kind of prescriptive legal texts. It would have been socially kind of the accepted reality. One of the records that we have that brings this marriage to our attention is the calendar of Brits from the Monroe Fowlis. And we can see that on the 21st of August, 1590, this contract is written out and describes an implement of marriage contract between Hector Monroe Fowlis on the one part and Simon, Lord Fraser of Lovett, and Anna Fraser, his lawful sister, on the other part, dated at Inverness, 15th of July, 1590, and in respect to the marriage between the said Hector Monroe and Anna Fraser, granting to her his future spouse in her pure virginity, three quarters of the towns and lands of Inverlaw, with mill thereof in the Eldom of Ross. Puts an interesting term of her pure virginity into this contract, which we don't actually see on other mentions of marriage within the Monroe Fowler's Ritz. It could potentially be this idea that Hector Monroe Fowler's is surrounded by scandal, a quick succession was needed, and in order for a quick succession to be legal, that his bride had to be pure and virtuous. It's about an appearance. He's just coming out of witchcraft trials the month before. He now needs to make himself look purer than pure. I am true to my God and to my King. Doubt me not. Evil can take hold of a soul, and the distaff, it appears, is more fertile ground for the devil than our masculine compliment. And judgment passed upon us, more exacting. He who is to be my husband within the hour has proved himself to be pure. I mourn show that I am purer than pure, and will remain so. I do not doubt the decision of our laws. Time shall tell. The specific circumstances of Anna's marriage to Hector Monroe are very interesting given the fact that he wasn't meant to be the head of the Lords of Phallus and he's assuming the position kind of in the context of having been accused of killing his brother through witchcraft. She must be so nervous, so scared, so unsure of what it was. There is no way she's not heard about the witchcraft trials. 
So she is fully aware that her husband and future stepmother-in-law have been on trial for witchcraft very, very publicly in Edinburgh. So the emotions that must be going through her head, there's no, it's not even worth thinking about really in my opinion. My daughter is only a year younger than she is and to think that amount of pressure is put on someone so young. But at the same time, this was normal. This was usual. This was using young girls as political pawns. The fact that she was going to marry this man who had been found not guilty, but was charged with witchcraft, who's twice her age, moving to a house castle that she isn't aware of, she doesn't know, she'll be lonely and isolated. And it is an incredibly sad story to think of in those terms. Marriages could be politically advantageous, but I think underpinning the goals here was was strengthening the family's success for future generations as much as possible. And I think it's probably quite key that there was a lot of pressure on her to produce heirs and how how do those heirs come about that she might not have been totally aware of. There's so many unknowns and I think that's probably the most terrifying bit. This is my home now. Until my duty is done, our families unite and flourish. I hope to live long, fruitful, and find some manner of peace. May God grant us peace and long years in this land of Inverlal. She dies in 1597, and the reason we know this is because we have our last will and testament. We believe she is going to be around 21. We know by this point she has had at least three living children. There is arguments that there is another two, so potentially five in seven years. I would hazard a guess that her death is potentially in childbirth. It's difficult to feel a happy outcome from this. If she had lived longer and her children had grown up, you could see a kind of more relaxed, more settled later years, but she doesn't even get that from as soon as she is able, she is sent out to get married, she reproduces and then dies in the space of seven years. I can't even imagine how difficult it must have been for her. In Hidden in Plain Sight, the experts were Siobhan Beetson and Rachel Davis. The writer was Chris Dolan and the actor, Katie Lyon. Hidden in Plain Sight was produced by Adventurous Audio Limited and made possible thanks to the support of the Audio Content Fund.